Good morning, this is Nicholas Briggs from Doctor Who and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Too much scrolling for October 11th, 2022. I'm Steve Voter. I'm Chip Essenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. This week, Chip, my students are working on podcasting in computer class, and I heard a, a pair working on a podcast, and their opening was, we're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. And I was like, you you are so I, I copy wrote those words. <laughs> well, they have to have a trope, Steve. <laughs> we become a trope. Well, that's a meme that we started the first episode, episode number one, sitting in my kitchen with one microphone. I said those words and I've said them almost every episode since for almost nine years, my friend. Nine years. You know, at that point I used to have hair. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Film at 11. Reason to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Hey, Chip, did you make it to the movie theater this week? I, of course, went to the movie theater. I went to Alamo Draft House, oh, which is um, just, once again, an incredible place to see a, a film. And you got a chance to see a David Bowie experience. This is Moon Age Daydream. This is a documentary about uh, David Bowie, and it is about his life as an artist. And it certainly is the psychedelic thing that you think it would be. And I didn't know a lot about David Bowie. I knew his music. He certainly was not somebody that I was going, oh, this is my favorite artist or anything like that. But I did find this incredibly interesting. He is a fascinating guy. He certainly dabbled in any number of artistic mediums. Music is what we typically uh, relate him to, but he was uh, part of Broadway. He's been part of film. He was doing some Jackson Pollock painting and stuff like that, that he was very shy about sharing with the world. And I think what I also learned about David Bowie is that his work kind of consumed him quite a bit he never really bought a home. He never really settled down. It seems like that he, according to this film, was a person who went from country to country, city to city, and and basically would immerse himself for a period of time in in a culture, drink it in, and then try to um, play with it. I I was thought of Laurie Anderson, a, a, a musician and artist from the Chicago area, I was, um, I thought quite a bit about the way he published himself or, or presented himself very much like maybe Lady Gaga would, would, okay. would do um, today. Uh, this is not a great film, but if you have interest in David Bowie, I would say that, you know, 50 out of 100 is what I'll give this as a, as a film. Uh, certainly a psychedelic uh, kind of fun to it, too. 
I the only connection I have to David Bowie is through other medium, and he certainly was all over the place. The movie Labyrinth, where he was an actor for a moment and and mm-hmm. gave us a, such a great performance in that movie, and he did a very very small role in Twin Peaks, and that very small piece of that Twin Peaks movie became a big part of the story in the revival series for Twin Peaks. And we we talk about the character that was David Bowie in so many ways. And then I think about uh, the Life on Mars series that featured the David Bowie song, but he had nothing to do with it. He was a part of our culture for so long in so many interesting ways. Yeah, and and something they didn't touch on here was that he had a spat with his publishing group, his music publishing group, very similar to what Prince did. Mm. And he took a period of time off and actually used his artistic music expertise. He worked with Iggy Pop and the Stooges, and uh, he, you know, Queen under pressure is pretty much a standard at this point. It's kind of like the ice ice baby. Of, um, I knew you were going to say that. I knew I knew when the pressure <laughs> came up, we were going to get to vanilla ice. <laughs> no, this one goes dun 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 to dun It's not dun 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 to dun-dun. It's dun 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 to Like you're on you're on the stand testifying that those two sounds are different. Thank you, uh, Mr. Van Winkle. And give it a little bit of criticism. Uh, and what I mean by criticism, I'm, I'm not maybe some insight. When watching this, this came across like, do you remember those Michael Jackson movies that would mm-hmm. come out right before his, whatever his latest album was? Uh, and it's always like the, the young people of the, day, of the day, the young artists, talk about how much uh, Michael Jackson somehow influenced them. Well, it wasn't quite like that, but certainly this was about selling his music and, and his importance. And it's important to remember that David Bowie's estate sold the music publishing rights um, at least over a year ago. And why that's important is it is up to the, the group that owns that music to make sure an artist's music still is relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, so they can use an advertisement, they can use it. And, you know, people, you know, when you're listening to the classic rock station that they play his music, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of innovations Bowie had, certainly had been picked up by many, many artists. Once again, if you have interest in, in him as a musician, I think that you'll find this fascinating. It's not life-changing, though. There you go. You also got a chance to watch the sequel, Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, you know, Hocus Pocus, that beloved film from 1993. There's a lot of people who really love this sequel this year, Chip. We have there are a lot of little girls and a lot of little boys from that era certainly enjoyed Hocus Pocus back in 1993. Mm-hmm. And what was this, what does this Disney do better than anyone else? Um, they take it and you know make a sequel like 30 years later, right? <laughs> they do. And Disney is really pretty good at that, with the exception of the Star Wars sequels. Uh, we can we can eliminate those as a an, an anomaly from Disney. But yeah, Disney is pretty good at, at keeping that nostalgia burning. And Hocus Pocus 2, I shouldn't say burning in a story about witches, should I? <laughs> No, and uh, let, me, let me be blunt about it. I mean, a 30-year sequel is not requested by anybody. 
But Disney Plus is there. And there are a lot of people who love the original one. In fact, I saw the original for the first time last year. My, my children didn't want, grow up watching Hocus Pocus on a, a VHS or a, a DVD or a Blu-ray or anything like that. So this was uh, something that I watched last year. I watched it with a friend of mine and, you know, from their years, it was like the these names. It was it was the best, yeah. You because know? mm-hmm. you're a kid, and you know what do you want as a kid? You want something that's spooky but not too scary. It's playful and certainly as a celebration. Sort of what do kids like? They like celebrations, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you know, every year we have Halloween. Every year we have Thanksgiving. Every year we have a holiday season. All those three type of um, situations. They just kind of make up what we call now the holiday season. Hocus Pocus um, certainly has every possibility of being a terrible movie. It is not. It is not a terrible movie. This is a movie, I'll say 55 out of 100. What it does really, really well, recognizing that the um, actors are a little bit uh, different ages now, um, certainly they needed to create a story. And so they created three girls and young young women. And they did create a story that was not too spooky, um, that certainly, you know, the town's going to have their big Halloween festival. Uh, somehow they get roped into calling these three witches back. And these three witches are going to be a wink at the older generation, you know, the moms and dads mm-hmm. uh, of today. But also, um, if you've got a, a middle schooler, you can sit down and you can watch it. It's just kind of playful and fun. There's enough tension in the sense that there's a story there. There's enough humor that uh, mom and dad will laugh and the kids should laugh too. And I remember watching, when my daughters were young, Halloween Town. And for a young person, spookiness can be scary. Mm -hmm. And so sitting down with them and kind of like holding them and stuff like that, and you could tell where they tense up because it just takes a little bit of an awkward angle or anything of that nature, uh, change in music. This is designed for young people it's designed to, to enjoy and i actually absolutely thought this was just what disney does best okay. you know something that's playful and certainly recommended for families and bet midler gets a song so we've got that going for us <laughs> she, she certainly is the best character of, of, of the three witches sarah jessica parker still bounces around like she totally does that that's been her character from when she was a kid when she was showing up in movies and kathy the jimmy is um the character that may have changed the most but certainly playful and fun and and doug jones as the zombie very very fun in fact all four of these characters are there but it's the the young people and that's that's what these stories are about the young Mm -hmm. girls going through their adventure and they just happen to run into these witches that's a challenge to do a, a movie sequel 30 years later. But yeah, that is the key is finding that new story, those new characters that then relate back to these former generation for those 30 year old moms and dads who have those little kids running around. Halloween is an important time for them for sure. Sure. 
Which brings us to the other sequel that's coming out this week, uh, Halloween Ends. Jamie Lee Curtis in the final, quote-unquote, final Halloween movie is hitting theaters this week. Somehow they just keep returning, Steve. Well, Michael Myers is unstoppable you cannot stop michael myers that's what we've learned about this character over the years and jamie lee curtis is so excited to present us with this new spine chilling climax in the final installment of the franchise do you have a story about the screening room Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis got a chance to see Halloween ends in a screening room by herself, and she was given a remote control to control the volume uh, while she was watching this film. And she reports that she turned off the volume every time the Halloween song comes on. That creepy, really gets to you emotionally music. She can't take it. And she had a, a security guard in the room with her and she reports that the security guard was there to make sure that she didn't pirate this movie that she didn't take out her phone and record the screen and then sell it on the internet and she was she was upset by that she she really thought that that was uh, inappropriate that they would accuse her of of stealing her own movie that she wants to sell but she is really truly excited about this film and uh, i'm excited to see what they wind up what the story is for Halloween ends. Well, Steve, do you have any films for those authors out there that want to explore the mid 1800s? <laughs> Pambadore movie of the week is Emily Bronte featured in a movie simply called Emily. This is the author of Wuthering Heights from 1847. Emily Bronte uh, it once again looked at from a different angle. Uh, we, we are going to learn more about Emily Bronte. Good for us. And Steve, we've got a film coming out this week that looks like my pick of the week if I was going to see a film. Yeah, there is a movie about the story of Emmett Till and more specifically his mother and and the the tragedy of Emmett Till's life, born in Chicago, buried in Alsip, Illinois, and accused of whistling at a white woman and then lynched to death and the story here is all about how his mother took that moment of absolute tragedy and used it for the civil rights movement yeah and this was um th this took place in real life back in 1955 and if you're not familiar with the um what, what came out of this story the mom insisted that there was an open casket funeral so basically everything that happened to this person could be seen. And it was part of what launched the civil rights movement. This was a pivotal time. Now this is being released today. And my thought being is that it'll be ready for uh, Black History Month in February when it's released on video. Mm -hmm. this, is, this looks like it's going to be an important story in American history. It has been an important story for a very long time because of the power that that mom used to use her son's tragedy for everybody that that is an amazing tale and i look forward to what this particular film adds to that history hey steve what if john hughes wrote a, a film that was released today for the <laughs> halloween season 
It is definitely spooky season and, and all of our spooky movies are coming out. John Hughes and the zombies. This, this would be a great movie. I would love to see the Ferris Bueller's day of zombies. This one is similar. This is called the loneliest boy in the world. And it's a modern fairy tale, a satire and a celebration of family values with a zombie twist. I, I look forward to this one. He, he's lonely and he keeps bringing back family members, you know, and they don't go away. There you yeah. go. Nothing terrible can happen there. The monkey's paw taught us that, that that's a good idea. Wishing people back from the dead is a good idea. Steve, we know about Spinguli. Is there another type of Spinguli out there? Yeah, we've got an interesting movie this week called Bitch Ass. Yes, I said that out loud. Thank you very much. This movie, the trailer opens with a horror host telling us about a story that is going to be told. And that character is portrayed here by Tony Todd, who you might remember as the Candyman. A very... Uh, dark sinister trailer i look forward to figuring out what this movie is all about that certainly looks like a comedy too but this next one does not look like a comedy yep the next one is called old man guess what it's about chip it's about a lost hiker steve who somehow goes into a house and he says i'm not a serial killer somehow we're going to have a story that's going to come from that it looks scary, Steve. We've seen so many of these. There's so many people lost in the woods and they stumble across uh, an old man who's scary. Yeah, it, 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 this one's going to get lost in, in the shuffle for sure. There is a movie called Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday. Uh <laughs> This one, okay. There, this is a mafia story. Uh, mafia boss to save the life of his only friend and rekindle his friendship with his maniacal father figure. So this is the other side of that old man story, huh? Yes, it is. Still, so we have a documentary coming up this week about, um, well, it looks like uh, sex work. Yes, there's a female comedian who's been telling the story of sex work in the 21st century and, and how there's there's so much more to it than the the basics of what we think of uh streetwalkers this one's called sell by date and there's slashes in between and the idea of understanding the situations of these people and and really personalizing this story of these people instead of giving us a an overview and 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 saying this is bad well, that looks interesting, Steve. Is there another documentary that may not be so interesting, but award-winning? <laughs> the award-winning documentary coming out this week is called Cat Daddies. This is a heartwarming collective portrait of eight unique men whose lives have been changed by their love for their cats. They love pussy, Steve. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it.
brings us to our book in our book of the week. Chip, you, boy, oh boy, you, you bring us some, some really interesting thought provoking nonfiction books while I just bring us science fiction and time travel books. This week, you read a book by one of your favorites. This is Russ Roberts. He brought us a book this week called Wild Problems, a guide to the decisions that define us. This was published just, just now, just in August of 2022. Yeah, and Russ Roberts is, uh, he's uh, the host of Econ Talk, which is one of my favorite podcasts. He's been doing that for a long time, years and years and years, probably longer than, than Too Much Scarlet's been around. Hmm. Um, and he's always um, been on this journey of thoughtfulness. And the idea behind wild problems is we use algorithms, we use apps, we use all sorts of modeling to try to help us make more confident decisions, stronger decisions, and hopefully the, the right decisions is ultimately what we're, we're trying to do. And what he's trying to show as, as a trained economist who has spent his life studying this, this idea of that somehow you can optimize your life, that some decisions just can't be modeled. They just don't lend themselves to that type of thought process. And this is the basis of this this uh, story, and they're called wild problems. When we get to this problem, uh, this this type of thing. So, one of the uh, first rules of economics is um, that uh, you know you want to somehow optimize happiness or whatever those things are. Well, it's very hard to be able to define how you can do that. I mean, we use all sorts of things like utils and, and stuff like that. That's a terrible, terrible way to describe something mm -hmm. like that. Usually we can say that, I, you know, I, I like baseball more than ice cream. So you can do it relative to something. I, I like um, Thanksgiving more than I like uh, Memorial Day. You can take two things and you can kind of line them up. But it's very uh, difficult to say, well, how much do you like Thanksgiving? Mm -hmm. And you come around, I don't know, a hundred units of happiness. You know, how does that work? So when we talk about big questions like, should you marry? So should you have children? These are things that humans have thought about. I'm sorry, modern humans have been able to think about thoughtfully for you know at least a couple hundred years. And um, one of the uh, the subjects of, of, of this that we, we just talk about in Russ Roberts' book is uh, Charles Darwin, who was trying to, uh, to, to rationalize whether he should get married, whether he should have children. And he you know, put together you know, a list of uh, the positives and the negatives, and he kind of put together this list. And Charles Darwin was so worried that he would not be able to continue his writing or spend enough time studying. And that the children would drain his resources that would allow him to do things. Well, um, he decided eventually to take the leap and get married and have children. And 20 years later, he wrote The Origin of Species. And so you can imagine that every person has experienced that same type of luck. No, I'm teasing. Uh, most people haven't. But, but the point was, it actually did make him more productive. Hmm. Um, and it did enhance his life in, in, in different ways. And a lot of young people today, younger people, are, are coming to these same type of challenges. They're trying to, to figure out ways of 
optimizing their lives and some questions just don't lead to that type of analysis some of the the uh Friedrich von Hayek called it scientism mm -hmm. where you take something that could be a wild problem a problem that really can't be answered through science and then somehow trying to create some kind of scientific justification for it, it it's, it's just very interesting i'm also going to mention there was a one of the subjects that was uh, talked about in the book was uh, a gentleman who currently teaches at uh, Stanford, and he was offered a job at Harvard, and he was really wondering what it, where should take should take this job. Now, the guy's uh, field of study was um, decision making and making better decisions, and he's talking to some colleagues about this and going, "You know, I'm really struggling. Should I?" You know, Stanford and, and Harvard, in many ways, are peers. You're not you're not going up or down. These are these are both excellent schools. They're very selective. They do a lot of research. All those other things. And um, his friends were saying, "Hey, listen, um, why don't you just put together a list of yeah, positives and negatives and and, and uh, use some of the tools that you teach about?" And the guy's response was, "But this is real life." in the sense that it's his life. Right. And sometimes we're going to get to, you know, questions that as much as we may be able to, uh, you know, make an objective to the side for someone else, when we're the ones that that's being asked of these, we really struggle with that. And I struggle with this in education a lot. We have, we have this idea that we want to educate our students. We want to give them these pieces of information that they need to be successful, whatever success means for that student. And sometimes uh, the analysis that taking what we do and making it into data, into numbers is very frustrating because we're not making widgets. We're not counting how many kids are successful because we don't even, we can't even define what success is for every student. Yeah, you've just mentioned something there is that, you know, if we look at our school system, how we've defined it in the United States, it's very much a factory. Mm -hmm. It was designed in the 1800s. It was designed for a different time. The Industrial Revolution is the reason behind the school system. And the Industrial Revolution is well over by now. And this idea that, that you could take, I don't know, steel, and you could take it into the factory, and then at the end of it, you have a car, for my example. That is how a factory could look at something. But humans are not that type of moldable. Um, they certainly are influenced by the, the area, but that's, that's not their experience. That's not necessarily the right approach to using when we're dealing with humans. And this is, you know, one of the, the challenges of, of um, modern kind of how to, how to, address uh, dilemma of how, how we should do schooling. And if there was ever a time to reconsider it, it was during the pandemic. Agreed. And what did we do when we came out of the pandemic? Well, we just went back to the tried and true, what, what, what was known. And I'm not sure you know, if, if that is meeting the student's need 
before, but I mean, it may not be meeting their needs today. This is a conversation um, that we keep having over and over again. There, there are things that we believe we should change about how we deliver education. And uh, so many different statistical pieces of data seem to point to we are failing these kids. But the statistics, we can't rely on statistics for something as as complex as human thinking well and, and particularly maturity happens at different like boys mature at a different stage than girls mm-hmm. um in fact i'm reading a book right now that talked about delaying school at least a year for boys because of uh, how they mature differently but you know regardless when we when you get out into the real world, okay, the training years have ended. Now you're going to go experience those. Part of that is that just this recognition. Good scientists ask great questions, so you can ask great questions. The answers, though, some, many times are going to be subjective mm-hmm. to what you want to experience or how you want to experience your particular life and when we start talking about things of like who you should align yourself for you know the journey of life your spouse or something like that many times it's going to be um finding someone that you enjoy being with just being with that person that allows you to grow and experience um life being with that person allows you to be quiet and no, recognizing the person you are today and the person you could be 10, 15, 20 years from now could be different. And um, to support you, when I say support you, what I mean by that is allow you to do that because life is this great mystery and you want to experience it, but it's not always something where you can measure happiness. Mm-hmm. So. I can measure it on, listen, um, professional football or professional basketball or professional baseball pays a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Most of us are not going to get there. And it may be the wrong path for you, especially if you're not an athlete um, who's gifted with certain things. There's plenty of athletes that um, are good enough, but not good enough for the pros. Um, but the reality could be that if you enjoy doing something or um, want to st- study a particular subject and stuff like that, and you found a person that wants to travel with you, or you found a person that wants to um, uh, allow you to go experience, I don't know, a hike up a mountain or, mm-hmm. or um, uh, spending some time contemplating, you know, whatever it is in life. These are, incredible parts there's parts of life that you share with another and there are parts of life that you get to experience on your own and then you start asking questions like should you have children or hey should you move someplace Mm -hmm. versus staying in the same spot russ roberts wrote the book um kind of exploring adam smith's uh, book the theory of moral sentiments and he talks um, constantly. In, in fact, he, if you if you listen to Russ Roberts enough, he quotes it so often. It's basically, you know, how do you, how do you describe um, a good life, and what does a person want out of life? And it's it's a person that is who wants to be. I mean, as Adam Smith said, uh, who, who wants to be loved and to be lovely. 
a person who you know wants to be loved and be lovely, and that means a person who is worthy of admiration, a, a person that's worthy of being uh, looked at as a good person, and then to be lovely is to um, to actually do it, then, right? To to be that person who is moves from the Luke Skywalker stage in their life to the uh, Obi Wan stage of their life. And that's, that's, I mean, what, what more can we ask? And, and trying to rationalize that, trying to analyze those feelings, those thoughts, and to put them into numerical algorithms just doesn't work sometimes. It's, it's much broader than that. The reality is that life is difficult. Life is wonderful. And, and yeah, there's going to be hard times no matter what you choose and it doesn't mean that one decision was better than the other it's just the the right thing for the moment well science is really good at doing things like hey i've just put in the accounting of of my i guess the, the profits and losses for the for the year mm-hmm. or um model could be good at tightening up something that's very loose you know i'm, I'm taking a, a, a journey through a map and i need to tighten it up and all of a sudden I can save, you know, more fuel or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not always there to answer some of the other questions. There's ways to think about things, as in there could be a better process to think about things. But ultimately, the leap of faith that is the decision is just that. It's that you made a choice. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to choose differently than another person. And maybe in retrospect, it was the wrong decision, but you know, you don't know until you go through life That's right. and, and, and when the future reveals itself, you make, you make adjustments. That's right. This is a lovely, lovely book. Um, it really is a very thoughtful book. I want to be Russ Roberts when I grow up and um, any person that wants to, to kind of explore this and explore the limits of of science, of, of how social science is what I would say, limits of social science. Um, this is a great book to, to do so. This is a, um, a warning that everything can't be uh, automated for you, that you have to be a participant in life. There you go. Beautiful. That's Wild Problems, a guide to the decisions that define us by Russ Roberts. With it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's some there's some tech news to talk about this week, Chip. So let me let me explain for a little while. Happy Ada Lovelace Day today. Uh, Ada Lovelace was the daughter of Lord Byron, and she is credited as the first computer programmer. How fascinating. Yeah, she was the one who thought up the idea of having a machine to do mathematical work for us. And she was the one who did the programming on Babbage's mechanical computer. And we celebrate just the innovation that is computing that started back in the 1800s. Oh, how awesome is that? I love it. I, I love talking about the the innovation. I, I teach a class called Innovative Technology and the innovation that people have brought to us, especially amazing historical people like Ada Lovelace and so many other 
names and faces that that I admire that ability. Then then we get to Google. <laughs> Google gave us an event. Did you say the Google thing? Did the you say Google, the Google? The Google. We can get it at the Walmart. <laughs> That's, I say the for everything. We get to Google this week. They gave us a made-by-Google hardware event showing us their new phone, the Google Pixel 7. I look forward to picking one of those up on Black Friday in November. Excellent. So they uh, introduced the, the Pixel 7. That's their phone. Mm-hmm. That's their competitor to the iPhone. And, um, Steve, it looks like they presented a whole bunch of that stuff that will be a competitor to a lot of Apple products. Yes, uh, the Google Pixel 7 is definitely aiming toward the latest iPhone as a competitor. The battery life on it claims to be just unbelievable. Their extreme battery saver says that you can have this phone on for 72 hours and the charging speeds are amazing with a 30 watt wired charger uh those of you who remember the original iphone that was a five watt charger and and then i know numbers don't necessarily mean anything but 30 is more than five the the battery technology hasn't changed much but the charging technology has changed so it allows you to charge much more quickly steve they've got a pixel watch they have Mm -hmm. pixel buds and they have a pixel tablet yeah, the Pixel Tablet is the one that I'm most excited about. That is not coming this year. That will come after the new year, 2023. But the the gold standard that we've talked about for a long time now is the ability to take a device and to plug it into different situations. Your phone, you might be able to connect to your car, and it operates in a different way. We have speculated for a long time that you might be able to live with one device and just plug it into different things, a keyboard to make it a laptop, a monitor to make it a television. This Pixel tablet says that it is a tablet very much like the iPad, but when you put it in its dock, it becomes a very uh, useful device for the home. Those, the, those home devices that Amazon and Google have been using for a screen in your bathroom or in your kitchen. This has that ability to be useful in all of those situations. It certainly is fascinating. Google obviously um, has created Android. Um, for many people, Android is the, um, the operating system they like to use. Google with Pixel has basically created their own hardware to go with it. That's right. And they made their own silicon too. So they are making their own chips. They're they're using that model of Apple of being the the creator of the entire ecosystem. I live in the Google ecosystem. I enjoy all of this. I look forward to uh, that innovation coming this and, this year. And I endorse more chips. <laughs> your your pro chip. Pro chip. I, uh, that's my stand. And when you vote, remember that. Pro chip. <laughs> Pro chip. You ever, you ever have those blue tortilla chips? Those blue chip stocks? Those are those are delicious. <laughs> Halloween is coming. I'm super excited about all of the spooky fun that I'm having with my students. And uh, ha- Halloween is just so much fun. McDonald's is getting into the fun this year. They've officially announced that they will once again be supplying those trick-or-treat buckets with their Happy Meals this the, beginning this week. So, you know, you can go get a high-saturated fat meal 
get your bucket, and then go get a bunch of sugar from all your neighbors. What could go wrong? <laughs> certainly is a, that boy. That's a negative way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to Old Man Chip tells us about Halloween, folks. Back in my days, uh, they used to bring give me pencils, and I used to love it. (laughs) The dentist is handing out toothbrushes at his house. Don't go to the dentist's house. (laughs) This is this is fun. I am surprised that they went away from this for a while. But the the trick or treat buckets with McDonald's logo and and promotion and marketing that's that's pretty brilliant right there. They have to have more users in the future, Steve. Cause they're, cause, no, never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. Never mind. <laughs> Our Halloween read along this year is coming up, Chip. We are going to read the Haunting of Hill House. This was published in 1959 by Shirley Jackson. It's a ghost story. Pam Bedore will be here on October 25th. We would love to hear from you. Send us your comments and questions. Grab your copy and read along with us. And this is supposed to be the haunted house story. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get into the Halloween and the spooky spirit, Ooh. this would be a great place to jump on and join us. Yes, this is, I would I would agree that this is one of the first bases for the haunted house story. I think Poltergeist is one of those movies that takes that zeitgeist of the eighties and this 1950s haunted house story and, and puts them together. I look forward to talking about this with professor Pam uh, at the end of the month. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. Hopefully we don't come back as zombies because that seems like a, like a bad way to come back. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of too much scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to too much scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenblow. We'll see you in the future. So we don't talk about what I want to talk about.